Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. As I said, it's a real honour to be up here with you and um, I pray that this word that the Lord's put on my heart will be an encouragement and a blessing to us all. So over the last five or six weeks, we've been uh, looking and focusing on the church that God has called us to be. And so far in the series, we've been to Galatia and we've heard about how we're called to be a welcoming church where people can come as they are. We've also been to Macedonia and we learned about how we're called to be a generous church and to use our money to bless one another and honour God. And last week, Neil brought a fantastic word on how we're called to be an empowered church that uses our gifts. And today, I want to speak on how we're called to be a community church. And I want to look at the ways that we can be a community where God's love is ever-present and where people can always find loving family. And I'll be focusing today on the church in Rome. And in particular, I'm going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 16. And what I'll do is I'll read the passage for you. It's going to come up on the screen as well, but if you want to follow along in your Bibles, please do. And after I've read that, I'll then just set the scene a little about where we're at in the story of the church. So, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 16. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so we in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. 
Now, the book of Romans uh, was written by the apostle Paul, and it was written quite actually quite later on in his career. And we can in fact see when we look at the book of Acts that the church in Rome had existed for quite some time. Now, I'll be honest with you at this point, as I was listening to all the other sermons and hearing about all the other churches, I noticed that people were putting up maps on the screen of where their church was. And I was thinking, oh, crikey, because they had different names back then. And then I went, but I got Rome. (laughs) And that still exists. And it's still exactly where it was before. So hurrah, no embarrassment for me. So yeah, we're looking at Rome. And see, the main difference about this church in Rome is unlike most of the other church communities that we've looked at in this series, it wasn't a church in its infancy, but rather it was a church that had been established for quite some time. Excuse me. So, Paul was dealing with a community that at this time was not only facing huge relational challenges, it was perhaps also somewhat regimented in its approach to faith. And this church in Rome, I believe, is an example of where the Lord's direction and guidance is always needed in the body of Christ, whether they're at the beginning of their walk or whether they're like the church in Rome, already well established in it. Now, at some point before Paul's time in Rome, the emperor Claudius had all of the Jews expelled from Rome, which you can imagine did not go down well. However, five years later, those Jews, including the ones who believed in Jesus, were allowed back into Rome. That said, by the time they returned, they found a church they didn't recognize. In that well, it had become not very Jewish anymore. By that I mean they found a church that didn't follow the same laws and customs as previously. And as you can imagine, this caused a lot of tension. It is at this point that Paul comes to Rome and he finds a very divided church. Because people were disagreeing on everything, absolutely everything, And not only did they disagree on whether to follow Jesus, those who did follow him couldn't actually agree on how to follow him. Bit of a mess. And I like to think that I sometimes can get a little bit of what Paul must have felt like. It's a bit like when I try to leave my children alone in the playroom for an hour or so, only to come back, not only to find that they're arguing, but the playroom looks like something from the scene of the end times in Revelation. And all I can say is, what has happened here? And see, the church in Rome, it was the same. It was in one big mess. But Paul, with God's guidance, was tasked with putting it all back together again. Lucky him, huh? But most importantly, he needed to unite the church. And this meant reminding them of how we're all united through Jesus Christ, not through laws or customs. So, what about the church today then? What about us here at King's? How can we be a community church? 
Well, there's an awful lot to unpack in this passage. But ultimately, in this passage, what Paul is telling the church at Rome and us here today is this is what a community church should look and behave like. There are challenges here, though, both for us as individuals and collectively as a church. Because, you see, what should unite us is our love for Christ and our love for one another. Simple. However, if history and life in general has taught us anything, it is that as humans, we're not very good at keeping things simple, are we? Fortunately for us, though, we have a loving and heavenly Father who reaches out to us through his word and through the Holy Spirit, and he guides us back to his plans for his church. And so today, I want to focus on three main areas on how we can be a community church where God's love is at the center and everyone is welcome. So firstly, I want to look at why we need to be a community church. I then want to look at what does a community church look like? And then finally, I want to speak on how we can have a community church. So why? Why do we need to be a community church? Where do I begin? The truth is, we have a society, a world, in fact, full of people constantly looking for where they belong. People asking, am I good enough? Am I accepted? You see, all we want is a sense of identity and security. And as Christians, we find this in Christ. Because in him, we are secure. We are accepted. But I started thinking, but what about when we don't feel that way? Or what about those who don't know the love of God yet? How can we all find security and acceptance? And all too often, we look for the answer in worldly things. In money, popularity, possessions, relationships. You see, the world presents these things as worthwhile pursuits that will give us identity. They will give us community. But in fact, what they cannot give us is a fulfilled life. And it says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, our church needs to be a place where those who enter this house can know that in Jesus, they can not only have life, but they can have it in abundance. And there are many examples I could use or to demonstrate our need to be a community church, such as poverty or loneliness. However, one example that is becoming ever more prevalent today is the growing need for support with our mental health. Because we're bombarded daily with influences on how we're supposed to live, what's acceptable, and what we're supposed to have achieved by a certain stage in our lives, and all the while trying not to lose our sense of direction or purpose. 
Now, this sermon is not intended to be a seminar on mental health, but rather I've just used this example as a reminder that we're called to be a community church because we exist for the community. A community that is crying out for help with all the struggles we can face. A community that wants to know where their identity can be found. And I truly believe that God and God alone is the answer to all our questions. He is the answer to loneliness. He is the answer to depression. He is the answer to where we find our purpose. I guess you could say he's holistic in his love for us. And isn't our sole purpose as his church to see his kingdom grow and for everyone to know the unconditional love of Christ? Isn't that why we're here? Yes, that's why we're here. And on a personal note, uh, my family moved to East Yorkshire when I was 16 years old. And I eventually moved back down south in 2009 when I was 25. Do the math of how old I am now. Um, But whilst my faith was strong, I still wanted, I needed to find a place where I could belong. And I could know the unconditional love of Christ and his family. I apologize if I keep drinking. I have been praying, please, Lord, let my voice hold out. (coughs) Excuse me. So, it was in October of 2009 that I walked into King's Church, Amersham. It's when we were still in the old town. And I knew within half an hour that I was home. I was safe. I was loved. And I knew because the people who inhabited this house loved God. And they showed me his love. Because you see, before people see God, they see those who choose to follow him. And by that I mean people will judge what they think is the character of God based on the people who inhabit his house. So why do we need to be a community church? Because when people see us, they need to know, no matter my background, my sexuality, my financial status, my marital status, my current mental health, I am accepted by the church. And ultimately, I am home and I'm loved by God. And we all need to know this. So, what then does community church look like? I've briefly spoken on why we need to be a community church. But it's also important that we can understand and grasp what a community church should in fact look like. And for this, we need to delve deeper into today's passage. And it says in Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So firstly, a community church needs to be a place where we put God first. We need to offer our lives to him in surrender. And we need to make ourselves a living sacrifice. Okay, Rachel, what is a living sacrifice? I'm glad you ask. 
Because I had the same question myself. You see, Paul here is asking the church at Rome and us today to sacrifice ourselves to God. What is a sacrifice? Well, one dictionary definition of a sacrifice is <coughs> sorry, anything consecrated and offered to God. <clears throat> now, sorry, Paul is not asking us to sacrifice ourselves literally at the altar like they would have done in the biblical times with animals because through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice was made to cover all our sins. So the Old Testament sacrificial practices are now obsolete. So practically, what does a living sacrifice look like? Well, the key word here is living. We are a living sacrifice by daily not conforming to the ways of this world. Because a community church needs to be full of people who choose not to be swayed by the views of this world, but rather look to God's word to find the answers. We need to be distinctively different for God. And we also need, as it says in verse 2, to allow ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So, we need to hear his word daily. We need to read his word daily. We need to study his word daily. And we need to meditate on it daily. And because this is what will define us. And it will make us stand out from the rest of the world. Now the church here at Rome stumbled over how to agree on the correct way to follow God. They argued, for example, on whether to continue with the practice of circumcision. And over actually who was allowed to be circumcised. Jews only or Jews and Gentiles. But you see, they become so focused on how well they followed the laws that they lost sight of the fact that it's actually by faith, not by works, that we enter his kingdom. Now, today in the modern church, we may not necessarily argue over the practice of circumcision, but we most likely have differing views on how we are to operate as a community. We may have differing views on worship or on leadership or the way that we evangelize. So, what can we then do to ensure that despite our different views or attitudes, that we remain as a community where God's love is at the center and we all have a part to play? Well, that leads me nicely onto my final point for this morning. And that is how we can have a community church. Again, we need to look back into chapter 12 to find the answer. And for this section, I want to break it down into three bite-sized chunks, which can outline the ways in which we can be a community church. And the first one is humility. We need to practice and demonstrate humility with one another. It says in verse 3, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather... Think of yourself with sober judgment. So when Paul said this to the church in Rome, he was, I think, addressing the church's need to not judge one another based on the different ways they followed the laws and the customs of the time. And in particular, 
the Jewish religious leaders needed to demonstrate humility and not look down on the Gentiles for being different. And we as the church today need to think about how we can be humble in the way that we treat those within the body of Christ who may have differing views to ours. An example of this could be how we treat those new to our church. And in fact, I had an opportunity a few weeks ago to attend a women's event organized by the charity Care for the Family, which some of you may have heard of. Um, and one of the speakers that evening was Kathy Madavan, and she is part of the main speaking team there. And her, she herself is actually married to a church leader. And actually that evening I got a hold of a copy of her fantastic book, Digging for Diamonds. I'm actually in the middle of reading it at the moment. And it's all about finding the treasures that God has placed in each of us. But there was a quote at the beginning of the book that really spoke to me on the matter of being a community church. And I just wanted to read this short paragraph to you. You might not realize it, but we're all on the welcome team. We all have a role to play in making sure that people experience not only friendliness, but genuine friendship, whatever day of the week it is. Isn't it fantastic and slightly terrifying that the diverse assortment of people that comprise the church are God's welcome strategy into his family? No church or individual gets it right all of the time, but when we do, our embrace demonstrates that wherever people are on their journey of faith, there is a God who values them and who welcomes them into their spiritual home. And another way that we can practice humility is how we treat one another in regards to our individual gifting. By that I mean, we need to bless one another with the gifts that we've been given by God. And we need to not be jealous of one another's gifts. Because we've all got a part to play. Not one of us, not a single one of us goes unnoticed in God's eyes. Because we're all in his family. I just want to take you back to verses 4 to 8. Where it says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You see, how we treat one another in the body of Christ is what defines us for the rest of the world. Because when people look at us, they need to say, wow, have you noticed that they have people from all walks of life in their community? And not only do they encourage one another in individual roles, they also love and support one another. And Paul is very direct and clear in saying, use your gifts. For example, as he says, if it is to lead, do it diligently. Do it. Use them. Because the truth is, we're all in need of the gift that you have. We all need it. And that you may be asking, but what are my gifts though? I'm not sure I recognize them. And when I thought about this, 
I felt the Lord say, well, think about what comes to you naturally. You don't have to have to try. I mean, amongst us, we've got gifted artists, gifted musicians, people with financial minds. That's absolutely not me. And people who are so gifted at administration. Or do you know what? That simple skill of just being able to sit down and listen. Just sitting and listening with someone. That's such an underrated skill, but that is something that we can all do. We can all recognize that friend who just needs someone to sit with them for a bit. I mean, you could actually use the example of a cake to describe the different gifts and the different roles we have in the church. And let's face it, who doesn't love cake? Because all the ingredients are needed to make that cake taste great. We need the flour, we need the eggs, and as far as I'm concerned, we absolutely need the buttercream. And if you look at a cake, well, the one that I've picked anyways, there's layers. And you could equate those different layers to the gifts within the church. Yes, some stand out a bit more than others, but every single one of them is needed. Every single one of them. And you know, when people look at us, I want them to say, I want to know what that is like. I want to be part of God's family. The next thing we need is we need to love one another. It says in verse 9, quite simply, love must be sincere. And the definition of sincere is free from pretense or deceit, proceeding from genuine feelings. So we need to love one another, not just because we're told to, or we may even have an ulterior motive, but instead because we choose to see one another as God sees us. And we genuinely love being in fellowship with one another. I know that I love coming to Kings and being amongst my family. I also love the fact that our family is growing. And I took the opportunity to actually speak to some members of our family and ask them, why? Why do you like coming to Kings? Why do you like coming to church? So naturally, I selflessly plugged my own children and asked them. So I asked my son, why do you like coming to church? I was hoping for something slightly more spiritual, but here we go. Because I like playing with my toys and showing Uncle Lee all of my superheroes. I thought, my, my daughter, even better. Let's get, let's get my daughter. Okay. Because you get to go to group and I get to play with toys, have a snack and a drink. Way! But you know, as I read that, I thought, but that's just my kids being my kids. And they feel happy to be that when they're here. And they like coming. So I couldn't ask for more. But then to get a little bit more spiritual, I asked some people slightly older. So I then next went to the lovely Izzy. And she said, growing up in the youth, encounter, connect, and Bible study helped build the foundations of my faith, as well as sparking some amazing Christian friendships. Now, coming as an adult, I'm still being fed spiritually by the sermons and worship. The band and worship leaders do an incredible job of creating a safe space for me to praise and draw near to God. I love that. To have somebody being from a young age and still being fed and going, we're growing as a family, but individuals, we're growing. I next asked my lovely friend Kat, and she said, I come to church because not only do I want to hear what God wants to say in the message that morning, but because I want to connect and see my family. 
I've missed them all week. And some people I only get to see on those Sundays. So I look forward to it. And finally, I asked the wonderful Nev. And he said, it's family. The people were wonderful when we first joined and seemed genuinely interested in who we were and supported our family throughout our walk so far. And the words that just kept coming out to me from those quotes was family. Family. People feel supported, protected. And it's not to say that it's always going to be easy. We are going to have to work at it. But we're not in it alone because we've got the example of Jesus to look to and we have his Holy Spirit to guide us. We also have one another. And this leads me to my final bite-sized chunk, unity. We need to be united by our love for one another and for Jesus Christ. It says in verses 14 to 16, bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. You see, what makes us stand out from the rest of the crowd is when we as a church community are not swayed by the opinions of the world. And by that I mean we are going to face judgment. We're going to face persecution from those who do not yet understand the love of Christ. But we as a family need to stand firm in his love for us. And we need to declare to everyone that love, especially those who judge us. And I recently heard a quote by a Christian motivational speaker called Billy Allsbrooks. This isn't a direct exact quote, but it's one that I heard from one of his um, sermons. And he says, when we come up against opposition, we should face it saying, since you've already lost... Come and join the winning team. (laughs) The winning team. It's the team that stands by one another in all circumstances. Because we rejoice together, we mourn together, and we love one another. Because we as a community are here to see his kingdom grow. And we've each got a part to play in that. We've each got a part. And the best thing about being in God's family is there's no membership fee demanded. We don't have to sit an entrance exam. We can just come as we are. Will you be challenged? Will you be changed? Yes, but for the better. And by the grace of God, we've been given one another to help us meet any of those challenges or that change head on. And I, for one, am incredibly grateful and have been blessed by this community here at King's. Because all of you, every single one of you, big or small, has played a part in some way in helping my faith to grow and planting my identity firmly in Christ. So I want to thank you, each and every single one of you. Thank you. And my prayer for each of us here today, and for those who look at our community, this family of God, is that we know just how much God loves us. And that he's got a seat in his house with your name on it. So come on, let's embrace all that he has for us. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.